0: Hackathons was not like really a, a huge focus for Devil in the beginning, especially like spending a lot of money for the top funnel was not a huge focus. Uh, and this dramatically changed in Web3 where we have like every month um, a few hackathons around the world uh, with uh, hundreds of thousands of prize pools per hackathon even. Uh, Eve Denra this year topped their hackathon prize pool with over like a million in USDC, which was kind of like not heard of in, in Web2 before. Um, and this is kind of like the, the difference where it strikes immediately, where Web3 spends a lot of money to um, not only make it possible to chase really nice prices and bring their um, dev tooling to the, to the best uh, place where it can be, but also makes it possible for people to just travel around the world while having fun building new applications.
1: Welcome, everybody, to another Davis XDAO podcast. This is your host, Aperture, and today I'm joined by Rick from OpenQ, and we're going to talk about the dev relations. So developers are really important in the crypto ecosystem, like they're basically live lifeblood, pushing the ecosystem forward and uh, building everything we're playing with or, you know, sometimes actually um, using for for real transaction of value. Um, and we'll also be chatting about the role of hackathons, and we'll dig a little bit deeper into what OpenQ is and how it helps hackathons, projects, ecosystem in finding developers. So uh, without further ado, uh, welcome, Rick, to our podcast. Um, could you introduce yourself and um tell us how you ended up in developer relationships
0: yeah hey thanks man for taking me in so i'm the founder of openq and openq is a project that started around two years ago at the hackathon itself um our background is also in developer relations and openq evolved into multiple steps where right now it is mainly focusing on a crm for developer relations so we're building an experience that's similar to hubspot or Other CRMs that people are familiar with when they do normal business, but highly focusing on dev tooling companies that have developers as consumers of their product. So that's kind of like our main uh, focus right now.
1: Awesome. And I think it's quite a unique product because um, through the years we see companies market more and more to developers and making their product attractive to developers instead of attractive to managers who often have to make the decisions on the budget. So um, I think we're, we've come to a point in time where uh, this type of tooling um, and this service is, is actually uh, very relevant and just in time to, to services, service those uh, customers. But um, I think developer relationships uh, isn't something that's being talked a lot, lot in public in, in crypto Uh, It just maybe sometimes happens or people just know that there are hackathons. Could you tell us a little bit, like, what is your definition of of, of deaf relations and how could people, like, nurture them and um, sustain their connection with the developers?
0: Yeah. So it started around 2010, where companies were more aware that they need to be Uh, make it very easy for their applications to be easily integratable with other applications. Um, That's where the need for good documentation of APIs or SDKs were becoming more and more relevant. And some companies were very smart early on and understood that this needs a separate position in a company, um, a team that has specific or is creating specific expertise in this area to keep uh, developer relations uh, in a spot where Um, they can take care of everything in in regards to that. Um, So companies like Twilio started early, but then also companies quickly like Stripe uh, evolved, which brought a new product to the market that focused really just on targeting developers as a customer. Um, Stripe literally just made that their main business model, that they didn't talk to company CEOs and instead just to CTOs, which then had also the decision-making power. And this type of decision-making power kind of translated more and more into other uh, areas where DevRel became uh, more and more important, uh, where devs, you know, went out of the cubicle and became like uh, not just um, developers building products, but also decision makers. So the way how I describe DevRel is it has like, there are two like areas on one side, it's hands-on business development, but really with the focus on the consumer level of a developer, which is very different from any other, type of uh, consumer in the industry and then there's the second type of developer relations which is uh developer relations engineer that focuses on good documentation of the product uh youtube tutorials or any other kind of video material that you need and then also going to hackathons and giving people hands-on support um when they're participating to make sure that the integration of their uh tooling um is working smoothly
1: yeah, so it's, I think, a, a little bit of a combination between just good marketing and then finding the target group, but also just educating because your products that are being marketed are quite complex, and probably only somebody with uh, knowledge of like such tech can make decisions on that. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's, I think, really important. And just to be clear... Um, this developer relationships you started basically with with tulio and stripe are like more web two companies um so this is not only a crypto specific problem it's correct. Um, it's it's all around the world and it's i think um being shared across like web two and web three as long as there are developers and companies building something for developers um this this topic is is relevant correct um, yeah so What's the, uh, the status right now? Like how are devs being uh, being found? Uh, is it like through online? Uh, are, are hackathons like the, the main go-to place to, to find a, a developer for your project? Like what's the process uh, for like finding devs to either use your product or have them work for you and, and hire them?
0: Yeah, it's, it's very interesting the the Web3 industry uh, versus all the other industries is, is working very differently, it has a different approach to developer relations in general, especially when it comes to the top funnel. So in traditional developer relations with products um, uh, outside of Web3, normally what they do is just focus on a very good documentation, good material, um, uh, YouTube videos, guides on like building like first applications with the... Um, with the API or SDK they're providing to give some um, examples, all these kinds of things. And then obviously they also go to conferences, but hackathons was not like really a, a huge focus for DevRel in the beginning, especially like spending a lot of money for the top funnel was not a huge focus. Uh, and this dramatically changed in Web3 where we have like every month, um, a few hackathons around the world uh, with uh, hundreds of thousands of prize pools per hackathon even. If uh, then this year, topped their hackathon prize pool with over like a million in usdc which was kind of like not heard of in in web 2 before Um, and this is kind of like the the difference where it strikes immediately where web 3 spends a lot of money to um, not only make it possible to chase really nice prices and bring their um, dev tooling to the to the best um, place where it can be but also makes it possible for people to just travel around the world while having fun building new applications so yeah, definitely. In in Web two and Web three is has kind of changed a bit in in that sense uh, in the way how they approach um, developer relations.
1: That's that's actually uh, great to hear. Like I've been um, um, trying to uh, get into a hackathon. Um, I, I hopefully I'll, I'll get into the the Eat Global one in uh, during Istanbul, um, which is I'm not really a developer. Uh, but I'm more of a data analyst. But I think developer relations is not only about like finding the, the programmers that just built the app. Like, is it also about finding people that either support the developers um, or at least write some code that's not in production, but supporting like data flows? Um, how wide should we we take developer relationships here?
0: Yeah, it depends on the stage of each individual company or DAO, um, whatever organization type you have. So uh, if you're starting out with a dev tool or um, if you you know, recently launched your blockchain on a testnet or something, then you're really caring about the top funnel, meaning you get as many people as possible to test your product. In that sense, your focus are really like just developers in itself that uh, will give you feedback if the documentation is clear, if the, the tech works. And all these kind of things um after a while when you've like started to funnel um the, and got a lot of feedback that's when you want to shift your um, attention more towards the bottom funnel which means you want to bring not only like developers on board but actually create teams that utilize your technology in a way that they become relevant and they start um, using your product um, and more intensively so for example with a blockchain you want to have products that bring volume on your blockchain. Um, so in, in an example, if you're a new blockchain, you want to find teams that build decentralized exchanges, that build indexers, all these kind of things that are very relevant components. So that's what you focus on. And then it goes also and branches outside of the developer um, um, yeah, relation part itself. You're focusing also on founders. Founders is actually even the more important part here. We're looking at people that are possible or capable to raise funds. Um, either via grants or via VCs, uh, where you look at people that have a, a talent to attract new people in. And obviously, developers are still a very important part of, of your um, daily work, but you want to find teams that um, are use, utilizing your technology, improving your technology versus other ecosystems, where this then becomes quickly kind of like a war, um, who is kind of like attracting the most teams and, this is kind of like something I think most people don't understand because uh, a lot of people make assumptions about like how many active developers are there on ecosystems, but it's not as relevant if you're looking, you know, more long-term compared to like how many active startups are actually building with that technology and depending uh, depending on that technology.
1: Yeah. So, so there is also a difference in, in, well, quality versus quantity in that aspect. Yeah. You, You want like, builders that really build and use the technology versus just a lot of people who maybe just use one feature or you know it's 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 not the main part of of the, the product um, that's being used so um yeah I, I can I can totally understand that um and I would like to go back to to the, the hackathon part uh, because I think um, since it's mostly uh, marketed at developers and like the general public, mostly sees the results, like which which projects won, um, I think it would be good to create some context on how such a, a hackathon basically is, is organized and how developers come there with expectations, how they build, um, how they are incentivized. So uh, maybe let's take it from the start. Um, who Who's organizing? these hackathons and and why would they they benefit from yeah doing hackathon. I and
0: mean, there are two types and the ones that they're like for-profit companies and on the other side there are uh, groups of people or um, companies that uh, do it non-profit uh, to either leverage their own brand or their own company so for example if global is uh, obviously a company that's doing it um, also for profit to organize all these events uh, but they do a really, really good job. I would say there's nobody else in the industry that um, is capable of having such a huge um, lineup of hackathons every month and is executing them so well. Um, on the other side, there are nonprofit um, communities that do this. So, for example, of uh which is a hackathon in Rome that is uh, running for the first time uh, next week in uh, the beginning of October. Uh, this is essentially a a group of people that were like-minded in Rome um, meeting up uh, in meetups. And then they decided they want to bring a hackathon to their country uh, for the first time in Web3. They organized a Discord channel where everybody could volunteer in in various different positions, like from managing managing sponsorship to venue to uh, all kinds of things that hackathon organizers need. And uh, they don't plan to make a profit. Everything that is essentially um in the bank after the hackathon they want to use to organize the next hackathon which right now they are you know just investing and in, in self-funding uh everything um so these types usually that that run these and then often obviously like um the e-foundation is sponsoring them
1: yeah and uh so yeah it can be like bottom-up community driven or like more um companies or organizations that have been doing this for a long time and um yeah i i I always feel that there is a a even if it's a for-profit organization it's it's really about like having a good feeling and having a good um environment to build and let like creativity or free of these flow so uh, people are very encouraged to just come in with their own ideas and build something original. Um, and I think if you do that with um like such a big group, there will always be something useful or something very interesting that will will either trigger a new new project and there will you know they continue building after the hackathons or will inspire others um yeah. so um i I feel even though that those those prize pools are, um, often, like, quite big and, and impressive, um, it's, it's needed to, um, to basically nurture all those, those new ideas and, and get people thinking, like, hey, what's really missing in this space and what do you want to contribute? Um, yeah. and, and for developers, um, you, you mentioned that, like, there are developers just going from hackathon to hackathon and basically living from that um um making it almost like a job to just build projects try to win prizes um what's what's your sense on like what types of developers or maybe also non-developers go to these hackathons
0: yeah i i think those those people are very smart they uh, look at hackathons very different if they are making a living out of it uh, compared to others like Normally you go to a hackathon and you have a cool idea and you build it and then you'll see if any of those prizes and technologies that offer those prizes fit to your idea. Um, some more strategic teams take a more deeper and closer look and take a uh, kind of a chance at those bounties that uh, probably not a lot of people will apply for. So you're looking for technologies that a lot of people will probably won't not use and then will create something with that. And you can quickly make you know upwards to 10k per hackathon even alone, um, if you kind of strategize in that direction. Um, I for myself, I find it a bit too much um, to to do these t- kind of things. Like it's fine if you want to travel the world and, and do this as kind of like a side hustle, and then you have maybe another one or two side projects. But um, in general, I'm more like kind of the type that enjoys building like stuff that I I have in my head and don't get. Too much distracted with bounties that uh, utilize signal that we have to utilize technology they don't know how to implement yeah? so that these type of devs usually that um, do this and then there are always people that just travel from hackathon to hackathon to network yeah which is something that hackathon organizers don't particularly like much but there are so many side events um around hackathons and web3 so that it's a worthwhile experience even if there's no conference to just go there and, and meet people.
1: Yeah it's it's funny you mentioned that because i think in the um, in the the sign up form for uh, eat global in istanbul uh there wa- you could actually select like i'm doing it for the prices so uh, yeah. <laughs> it, like maybe an honest dev would, would add that um, um so maybe they could select it out but um, at least maybe yeah. they have, like some honest data about that um, It's if, if
0: global this is what I would even say to find uh, specifically people in, in that category, because uh, imagine you become a startup that um, is, you know, getting outside of EVE Global um, VC funding and it starts hands-on shipping and don't participate at these hackathons anymore, that those are like less people that come up and really ship, right? So for EVE Global, it's specifically interesting to find people that come over and over again. But those are obviously people that then companies that sponsor these hackathons don't want to uh, mainly get in as in, as submissions because it's people that maybe give you some feedback and test. It's again, you know, depending on the strategy you have. But if you focus on bottom funnel, which most of the sponsored uh, at hackathons uh, probably do because they have already the the means and the, the funding to sp- take spend a lot of money for these hackathons there. So bottom funnels mostly. Um, their focus in a, like after a year or so when having launched. Um, so in, in these type of cases, they would really love to see more startups um, focusing on the technology and in the long run versus just shortly building something with it.
1: Yeah, yeah. And and this, this I think, brings us to the point where um, like, why, why is that price pool so big? Like it's it's often like various projects that really want uh, to see builders build with their technology. Um, and you know the builders can apply for that. Um, but it means that that sometimes they will maybe get hunted in a way where devs might think it's like an easy uh, yeah easy bounty to go for
0: yeah, i'm I'm constantly thinking about this. like if you compare, for example, the AI space, which is uh, since uh, Gpt four really flourishing a lot. um if you looked at that space versus Web three, they have totally different approach. So and and I believe it's a much better approach um, at the moment, but also I don't know how much in kind of like the long run, there's these investments of like you know hundreds of K of price pool. Have really brought us to web3 like how much incentive did this give us to grow such fast in in in, as a web3 community so in in the ai space what they do is they rather focus on accelerators um so they have accelerators where they bring in developers with startups and um then their main focus is not directly funding funding is more like a, a secondary aspect of it that can come with it but the main focus is if you participate in the accelerator you get free credits so uh, and as an example, if you're uh, an AI, like OpenAI, you could uh, provide a startup with like uh, 10, 15, or even maybe 50,000 K of credits to use their API, right? Um, so that you can make early and profit um, if you're able to um, sell in a subscription-based model, et cetera, and, and grow your team and invest that capital that you save in credits into growing faster, I think that's a very, very uh, valid method. And a lot of people are doing it. Also, Vercel is heavily focusing on, on those type of accelerators where they give um, startup teams um, credit since everybody deploys, you know, with Vercel in the AI space. Um, AI, uh, Crypto or Web3 in general, I think, made a mistake that they have not focused much on that aspect. They always gave away bounties, which was cash that you could utilize as you want. And like a lot of people used it to travel and, for accommodations and stuff like that, but they never really focused on credits in the sense of like gasless transactions for an application. This is something that is coming now more and more, and I see like some teams that want to make it simple to just give people credits um, so that their applications can run um, for for free. And account extracted wallets are also supporting that natively now. You don't have to set up like a gas station network as you used to have. Uh, to um, support free transactions. That's something we should have done much, much earlier in Web3. I think that was a huge mistake because essentially in the last two years where transactions were due to sidechains and um, other um, you know, layer twos now uh, cheap, uh, it was very much possible to give those startups like, the possibility to onboard users without them ever interacting with uh, a transaction on, to interact with the dApp, yeah? So that's something I think that uh, should change and it still hasn't been catching up on much um but you see it more and more, especially like the lens protocol for example, is doing that really well where they're trying to uh, let those social networks run um without letting the users pay for um, making those transactions
1: that that's a good point um and it, you, you know I think maybe the technology just wasn't there yet with like you could sponsor gas. But I think, in a way, you could still give away free subscriptions, uh, like some data products or um, RPC providers could still provide those credits and um, have that be have that be part of the prize. So um, yeah, l- l- let's hope maybe the space goes um, goes more toward that. But I think, in a way, uh, still some some bounty would be helpful, especially for the ones that really have to travel to um to the hackathon but may- maybe it's um there's a, a good middle way between them um yeah so you, you you don't have people just going full for the bounty and then just launching another project that just dies off so you get a balance between like people getting uh, a little bit reimbursed for the costs and then you know putting on a path where they can further develop their product and their id
0: yeah, yeah, it's just interesting to see like in Web three, you see every month these hackathons, and you can travel around the world. And AI, they make those things remotely online, and they just focus on products that ship fast and bring in customers and make profits. And then no, those profits will increase because they don't have to pay for the dev tool once they, you know, start out. So it's kind of like a completely different mindset where you um, tell the developers like, "Hey, you need to become profitable fast. You need to build something that has meaning." to prove that your idea is valid uh, versus in Web3 where people are building POC after POC, never actually targeting a, product, a problem that uh, people resonate with and, and utilize. And that has become like a huge problem. I think if you look at, we, we did this research um, last year. Um, if you look at how many, how much, how highest percentages of projects that are continuing to develop their hackathon idea after hackathon, it's extremely low. Uh, we actually built a script on on GitHub and scraped all kinds of hackathon organizers um, platforms to find all the projects and we not only looked into specifically the repos of the hackathon, we also looked into uh, repositories that possibly um, were recreated and utilized you know similar technologies and stuff. So normally at the hackathon, you know you you build from scratch after the hackathon. so we take took these kind of things into account and the percentage was very low. It was around three percent to two percent that the the projects continued. And generally, even if that's kind of fine as well, I think it's a bit of it's a bit unfortunate that you you know we build so much and we don't really utilize it. We don't even clean it up at the hackathon that people could continue um, with that idea uh, if it's open source, which it is most of the time.
1: Yeah, uh, it's a good point. I think you will need a lot of ideas. Uh, also, just fail or just be that experiment and, and not eventually being continued. But maybe somebody else, like if it's on the GitHub and you at least show like to the world, like this was my idea, I'm not continuing it, but feel free to just fork it and, and go ahead. Um, so if you need it or you want to incorporate that in like your library or framework, you know, let me know or just take it and, and start building. Um so it's it's great you did some research on, on the continuation here. Um would that maybe also lead to building um like four hackathons building a, a database or or building um some some reputational score for for these devs where they could like find out like, okay, these people, they're serious. These people are uh, serial hackathon um, participants that just go here for the prizes. Is, is that something where you see this going or um, is there like yeah. some other ethical um, reason why you would or would not want that?
0: Yeah, no, I mean exactly what you um, describe is what is kind of part of our product line. So with with our CRM, we are trying to make it easier for companies to track developer activities. Um, we have a GitHub scraper, and then also we use a utilize uh, GitHub, uh, Google's uh, BigQuery indexer that indexes GitHub to track all kinds of events, and then we can see for our customers um, if developers utilize that technology, uh, even if they don't know about them. So. These kind of statistics uh, we provided, first of all, to the companies. That's our our business model. But we want to also provide more in general developer ecosystem reports that are very accurate. Because if you look at, uh, for example, what Electric Capital um, is doing with their developer report, um, an essential piece that they are missing is that if blockchain submits projects that are building something on their blockchain um, on GitHub, uh, yes, you can check if those projects are still active, but you, you don't check if maybe this project is dead because they've recreated a new repository with the same you know technology usage. So for an example, if I build something on Ethereum at the hackathon, now um, an organizer would submit that a project as a project being in the Ethereum ecosystem and it would be showing up at the, in a the developer report. However, um, what if this developer after the hackathon or whatever they, they did in this project They they drop it and they rebuild something from scratch in a new repo. They still deploy on Ethereum mainnet. You would completely lose that uh, person um, in in the statistic. Uh, And that's exactly the different approach that we're taking where we're looking not only at the GitHub repository um, overall that uh, a customer gives us and asks us to uh, analyze. We look at the whole history of the developers. So we uh, take a look at their profile. We scrape um, every single repository they have ever interacted with or they created. And then we look in those files where we can find the technology and see if they're in, in which kind of projects that they interacted with are they utilizing this technology and then how active are they in those. And that's how we can actually bring much more accurate um, data that uh, really helps you to see the, the full ecosystem that is running. Obviously, closed source is a kind of like not directly in this statistics um, at the moment. We're working on the solutions to make that possible more for the customer and then customer can opt in to release that also publicly in, in reports that we're planning to release. Uh, but that's kind of like the, the main thing what we started to do to do these type of GitHub analytics and exton- extend upon these and support um, Web3 companies specifically to get a bit of better view about uh, developer activities.
1: Yes, because I can imagine that like not every... Like especially not every piece of code is on on GitHub and uh, people use GitHub in a, a different way. Like some people push every small piece of of new new code to the GitHub and some wait for commits and, and yep. push them to uh, b- before pushing them having some long like, tests done um, because it is public and you know maybe you have to wait for for the The functions, or whatever piece of code you're building to finalize. So um, that different behavior might have an influence on on your statistics, of course, but it might also like give developers a chance to just show you as open queue um like hey we're still building something um like how would you tackle that like if if the dev says like we have some code being deployed or we have some development going on but it's not being pushed to github uh could they then submit yeah. that data to you
0: the the rate where that people use github is is very high i would say just estimating over 95% of the projects use github in in blockchain and web3 um generally also because GitHub is kind of like the more the place where open source is released versus like GitLabs that's used by a lot of companies that work closed source. So in general um if companies decide or startups decide to not release um open source code directly, um their long term plan is to still publish it at some point. So we're just losing them outside of the statistic for, for the time being. But the good thing is that after they go um, open source, um, we have the commit history that is also showing the history uh, when they were private, and then we can kind of include that in the in our reports um, afterwards. And the second part is which is something we're working on right now, that a company can request the developer to opt in and share um, their activity levels. So that would be something like a bot that they can install and then the bot would not store the code base, but just essentially store the commits and the activity of the commits. And then that would be shared with the dev tooling company. Um, So that's kind of like an opt-in solution that we're working on. But there are a couple other ways that we're thinking about this that always, you know, are opt-in. Like, obviously, we never will, like, try to figure out stuff that developers do without um, asking them for their permission. And with open source data, this is, there's no, like, kind of, like, privacy, right? That we're infringing because it's public data that you can look up on GitHub yourself. We're just automating it and making it easier for people to figure out who's active and who's not.
1: Yeah, that's a a great solution. And of course, like a great feature of Git that like all the changes are being tracked. So if if you ingest that data correctly, you can still see that that whole tree, Um, which brings me to another point, I think, where you can probably also see like the, the quality of commits, like this type of behavior I, I described before, where some people, you know, for a few lines of code, they keep pushing to a GitHub to um, maybe make some metrics better for them, like look like they're super active, while they're maybe not. Um, while well, you can also probably see some teams like releasing uh, these features but like doing that in like big chunks and like big product updates are, are right. those metrics you're you're following too and and indexing
0: yeah that's a very interesting question we've been thinking a lot about how to um, interpret uh, commits um, if you look at for example front-end development versus um, back-end development or even solidity development like changing a couple lines in solidity can take um, a lot of hours of work versus creating like hundreds of lines of HTML and CSS code. It can be very fast. So, if you were to compare those two developers, like a front end developer with a back end developer, and you were just measuring their activity levels based on the amounts of commits or PRs, that wouldn't be very um, helpful. Um, so, what we're doing is instead of doing this approach of um, taking the amount of commits into account, we will look at um, average commit consistency so if you for example are a backend developer and you're committing um, consistently for example two to five commits per day and you're capable to keep that level of consistency over the um, couple of weeks then you're very active and the same goes for a front-end developer that does 50 to 60 commits per week and does that consistently uh, if then you know you're not consistent anymore and like the week after you're doing less that would then Kind of, we, we kind of take your own uh, level of a um, consistency as as a reference to de- decide whether you are still active or not. Yeah.
1: yeah, it's it's great to have those additional metrics, and uh, I think with all this data, we, we get to the the question like, who would actually be be interested in this data, and who would be the your end user of of OpenQ? So um which like which parties are your typical user base or um are maybe not in your user base but should definitely uh check OpenQ out because you think you would be very valuable to them
0: yeah so we have three types of customer the the first part uh, are like dev tooling companies um and if i say dev tooling company i also count in blockchains and protocols so those are not like just Web2 companies like Stripe, what we had talked about earlier, but then also obviously, you know, um, products in the Web3 space, um, protocols, for example, superfluid, like token streaming protocols, um, blockchains in general, and really any any kind of product that is trying to sell something to a developer for free or for, um, for a charge. Um, the Web3 space specifically has this kind of special nuance where, If you deploy a contract, you're anonymous developer. um, So you're anonymous user. Uh, So that's why in Web3, it's even more relevant to have such kind of a product like ours because we kind of um, help them to better understand who their users are. Um, We can track from GitHub, like geolocation. In many cases, people share that publicly. We can track um, their email address if they um, share this publicly on GitHub. So there's like... All these kind of things that we um, know by just checking GitHub repositories that you wouldn't know if you just do chain analytics, for example, where you just know, okay, 20,000 new contracts were deployed this this month, but you have really no idea what they're up to. And so that's kind of like in Web3 even more relevant where you want to know more about your users and understand how active those users are and compare uh, them with each other so that you as a devil can set a better focus. Um, Then for... We have two dev companies. It's still very relevant to just generally have this activity on GitHub, specifically for new customers, like new leads, um, that haven't used the product yet in a, in a use case, but are playing around with it. Um, the second type of customers are recruitment companies or general like big HR departments that use our tool to find developers um, or kind of do due diligence on the developers that they've been already tracking or that apply for a job. So it works really well um, to do these kind of things. We analyze the skill sets of a developer, the kind of frameworks they're familiar with, all these kind of things. And if you're a recruiter and you're looking for a developer that has deployed a contract before, we can kind of fill all these kind of things. So recruitment, recruiters and recruitment in general is very interesting. And then investors are also like um, the third pillar where they can do due diligence on startups that um, you know want to fundraise. They can see how active those startups are and, specifically not technical investors, can do a bit clearer from a technical background uh, due diligence on those startups, but then they can also track their portfolio and see across their portfolio who's um, building a lot if it's open source, which in Web3 space is um, a lot of startups are. Um, And then the kind of like last aspect where developer relations um, or dev tooling companies and investors come together is when you have a portfolio company for example, that is a blockchain yeah, in the Web3 space. We have a lot of VCs that um, have invested in blockchains directly. Um, and imagine if those blockchains use our product, they could share those statistics with the with investors directly, uh, not only because they want to like validate themselves and being saying like, Hey, we have a lot of active developers, but also to kind of boost their bottom funnel. So if you are blockchain, you want that all those products that are being built on your project uh, on your blockchain are growing that they get fundraise, like fundraising um, and if you kind of like share your database of active developers with investors investors can invest as well in your ecosystem it's like growing together right so investors usually invest in a blockchain and then afterwards they invest in products that are built on those blockchains right they double down on that so those kind of like that kind of data helps then investors to better quantify in which projects they should invest, um, in ecosystems that they have already invested previously before.
1: Yes, because that's probably something you're tracking too. Like the, the retention rate of these developers. It's, it's not only like top of funnel, you know, we run an indexer to find a, a new developer, um, you can recruit or attract your ecosystem or protocol or blockchain. Um, it's also about like hey what developers are currently building and, and what are they building what types of yeah. tooling are they using like you can probably also see um, legacy code even though like maybe that doesn't really exist yet in in, in web3 maybe from my inexperienced point of view but um, you can can actually get get a good overview like how they're developing right like what yeah, tooling uh...
0: exactly you can, like, for example, if you're an investor that has invested in um, a smart contract uh, deployment framework and then also into a blockchain, you can check, for example, for all projects that are deployed on this project uh, on this blockchain, like how many of them are using also this um, smart contract deployment framework that we've invested in, so they can like cross reference multiple investments that they have made with. Um, developers utilizing those those companies or those tool, tools, and then they can make investments to further give more value to those already previously made investments.
1: That's that's I think great uh, great tracking because of course like uh, a company can come with the data themselves, but having an external party verify that um, is also very useful. Um, yeah. Which maybe brings us. Um, Like to a point where like where does OpenQ then stop? Because uh, an investor might also be interested in like how many people are using like these smart contracts or um, how many people cross through the website. Um, Is is that also data you will be incorporating, or do you want to leave that to like other like CRM like systems? Um, And can some of these systems even be integrated, or will your data be integrated with these systems
0: yeah it will be kind of both so we also provide an api so that other people can utilize um, our own uh, analytics for github specific use cases but we're working on integration with discord right now uh, where we can do sentiment analysis on your discord server and can tell how many active users do we have which of those users are asking uh, most frequently what type of questions uh, we're working on a gating service so that you have developer support channels on Discord where people have to authenticate with GitHub to ask a question. And then um, they will automatically be uh, onboarded as well to the CRM so that devils can see like out of all those people that are asking questions, who are they and are they really utilizing our technology or are they just asking questions and never really build something with it. So Discord is kind of like the second most important um, data source that we're working towards too. But there are a lot of other things, like we want to work on website analytics and then cross-reference website analytics with uh, GitHub analytics. So, for example, let's say you make a campaign or a sponsorship on a on a conference. We can tell you, okay, you got 10,000 new visitors on your website and that translated in, for example, 50 new dependency package downloads. Yeah. So those type of like references we want to make, but then also go deep in. If you launch, for example, educational content, what type of engagement does this educational content create, and how does it translate in people again utilizing the technology and maybe also in retention? So we're looking at multiple different type of data sources that we want to incorporate to give like a full picture for developer relation that just not takes GitHub only as a reference but leverage this to cross reference other um, data sources together.
1: Yeah, and and I think like this is what. Um most, like, if you're you're not a data analyst or haven't run, like, indexers or uh, done web scraping, like, you need to work towards a single point of truth, um, and, you know, one piece of information is just one part of that truth, but if you can get that back or verified from various sources, um, it will only, you know, have, like, a higher probability of being the truth, so integrating all those sources will will verify that data more and more, but also can give the user probably uh, more control over like what segments they want to take a look at, or like from what point of view they want to look at that data. So um, yeah, looking forward to to, to seeing um, all that data being also added to open queue, um, because that will will unlock even more um, functionality. Um, that's, I think like, Data analysis is never a a ending, um, ending like venture, because yeah, you're with every new insight, you'll probably have a new question like, but how does this user segment react, or like how do these developers feel about this type of tooling if I uh, if I would give it to them? So yeah, that's great. Um, you're looking into those like additional data sources too.
0: Yeah, and and like I said, like the devil space really has at the moment in web3 no way to measure like the ROI when they sponsor hackathons um, for example they they don't know how many people have interacted with the technology before how many are new people and um, how many are like coming back as a already uh, active user and then after the hackathon how many are still active yeah so those type of um, analysis they they cannot provide and that's specifically because of the nature of Web3, which I highlighted before, because those people are an- anonymous, right? So if they don't fill out the form themselves, um, telling the devil that they've interacted with it before, um, there's really no means to tell, aside from going into this GitHub repositories and checking out it out uh, yourself. Um, so yeah, that's kind of very relevant versus like API products where you could just see if people, you know, register um, with a centralized, like Google account or whatever and, you can see if people put their credit card in and, and pay for those tokens.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's it's a different uh, point of view you're you're taking at like the real world um, through through a different data source. Um, I have you like th- this this because it's like quite a, a new idea. Um, um how are you you targeting like um, companies to work with you uh, have you got like uh, already like customers on um have they given some feedback to you like what they actually are doing with this data right now
0: yeah so we started when we f- first like validated this idea um to work directly with hackathon sponsors together some of our friends are. Uh, um devils in web3 space so we kind of build the product with them while validating the idea um, so very early on we work with superfluid together and polygon to make this product um or to bring this product into the direction that uh, they can utilize it and then from there we right now we onboard around five companies um which you will be seeing on our website then maybe in the next couple of weeks uh, and you can check out their profiles but most most of the value that we give them for now is just checking out the ROI and, and setting KPIs for hackathons and conferences and events and stuff. And then they also want to use it as a centralized communication point where you can invite team members. It's uh, pretty funny that now everybody uses Telegram as a way to connect it in Web3. Um, you use private phones and you use a lot of D, like DMs and the communication gets lost, right? So that's what HubSpot and CRM's says was they were trying to bring the communication as a team together so that we know what stage each customer is when, um, for example, your teammate leaves the team or is sick or something. Um, that's something maybe we are bringing back for developer relations, which hasn't been implemented yet in their flow and it's highly needed. That's also something that we they, they tell us and with a Telegram integration that we're working on right now, this will be done even, even better uh, aside from just email so analytics and then centralizing that communication is kind of like the most important aspect of it that it cost, our customers right now um, are looking for and that's something that developers will benefit a lot because how often is a developer where you ghosted by devils or they just didn't have the time to text you back and then they switched the team they they went to a different department or they worked even for a different company and you're starting from scratch it's like very tedious for you as a developer that just needs some help or specifically feedback. Yeah. So some companies are really good at that. Some companies are not that good um, of managing those relations. And we just want to provide a tool set that makes it easier for you to, to do that overall so that developers are happy.
1: I, you, you point to one of like my frustration and from like some, some friends of mine who, were like actively uh, looking for a job in crypto. Like they go through the process of like setting up a CV, making cover letters, like putting an effort to reach out to a company and then just not hearing back from them. Which I think um, is such a bad look, like not even responding to the people who put an effort or um, might be enthusiastic in joining your team. Even if you like have hundreds um respondents to to the application i would still at least give them a message like okay you might not be a person we're 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 looking for right now uh or never could also be the case of course um but at least some response lets them know you've you've um looked at at the response let looked at their, their cv um and they can close that unless, like, they you know yeah. they might also be waiting for a response. And in my opinion, like, like if I have like written to some of these companies, uh, I look back at them right now and I'm like, yeah, you didn't even you know took the effort to to make a response. So it's also just a bad look. Like I, I take you less serious right now. And the ones that gave a response, I'm like, oh, that's fine. You know, it, it could be a simple mail with some words. Like, yeah, we're not interested, but at least, you know, um, uh, it was was uh, taken seriously.
0: Yeah, that was also our experience when we initially created OpenQ at a hackathon. We um, were working on a hackathon that was sponsored by a, a dev tool. And we were utilizing at the time, we were running apps at the hackathon. We didn't win it because our use case was not really directly the use case they were looking for um and after the hackathon we still utilize that technology and we try to uh keep in touch with them we applied for a grant we didn't get it um, but for us what was really important just getting like maybe once a month like a quick message like hey how's it going like are you still using the technology can we help you can we give you some introductions to investors can we maybe uh, main, do a podcast or like a social media post like there's this type of um Competition that you're working with in Web3, where if you don't provide that, people just go away and use a different tool set that is providing similar uh, features. So that is, you know, in all areas, um, when you work with bridges, uh, oracles, if you have blockchains, all these people, like if they don't specifically work with the developer together, the developer can just switch to another ecosystem if that ecosystem sounds like they are more helpful um, for your journey. And it happened to us. We kind of like shifted away from using that technology and we built our own. Um and like a year or two later they reached out to us and asked us our stages. Like that was specifically kind of like a, the first time the, the light went on for me to say like, okay, we spend so much money on sponsoring these hackathons, like hundreds of thousands of prize pools, and then there are people that are startups, they fundraise, they're really driven, they want to build something cool, and then you don't even respond to their message or send them a message every once in a while to ask them how's it going and this is like something that needs to change in in DevRel and that happens quite a lot and I know it's hard like you you work with hundreds of developers together so it's hard to kind of figure out who you should talk to who's serious who's like just somebody that um, is looking for an airdrop and is trying to uh, steal their time and that's exactly what we want to like improve with OpenQ. yeah so we want to make it possible for startups that were like us to stand out by just pushing code so that they get the help they need.
1: Yeah, that's uh, that's a good point. Um, yeah, we we need to, of course, take care of like this the, the Sybil, even if that's, if, whether it's a wallet or, or a dev, that's just trying to go for a bounty. But um, I think those Upholding those, those dev relations is very important and they might get lost maybe because we're all using such telegrams and DMs. So having a way to manage that like outside of like air tables or Excel sheets uh, where you not only ingest like direct data where somebody has to manually update like, oh, we, we still are in contact. Like what's the, the status of this, this relationship? Uh, is the dev still active in the space or in the ecosystem? Like that automatically being updated, um, I think that's that's where it definitely is a, a great um, um, value point for for OpenQ. So um, great great to 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 have like also my uh, experience being confirmed that it, you know it's not only me uh, having this problem uh, of not getting responses. Could could be like uh, (laughs) no, it's an experience we all make. (laughs) Yeah, sadly sadly it is, but maybe you know, maybe the space starts growing and gets a little bit like more professional in that aspect too. Um, uh, Working from like smaller teams, you know, like there's not always time to handle that. Um, uh, So so hopefully the the space can grow a little bit. um, That even smaller teams start taking this seriously. Um, and and give either like feedback uh, for to the dev or like the project building um, with their with their tooling or um, on their blockchain. Um, I think we discussed almost like all aspects of OpenQ, but maybe if you you still we haven't uh, discussed um, some feature or uh, some part of of queue that you really want to. Discuss. Um, the floor is yours. Um, what What are we still missing, or what are companies in crypto still missing that uh, you could offer, or you want feedback on? Because I think this could also be a great moment to to give a shout out um, for for people to get in contact with you. Um, yeah, and build.
0: Yeah, I think we went through the most important parts of um, what we're trying to do. I I really just just like to advocate, especially in Web three for those type of solutions that we touched on where you work on credit-based um bounties versus like just money I, I think the the mindset in web3 was quite for a long time uh problematic where you know we we don't charge people for utilizing a protocol then if you create something competitively and you don't fundraise it's very hard to make um you know create a team and, and create a startup bootstrap a startup so I think that mindset generally needs to change a bit. Obviously, you know, I, I'm very well in, all in for public goods. I love public goods. But um, for start, I think making a profit to be able to, you know, pay uh, per your living costs and your accommodations when you travel and also that kind of stuff, that's fine. So uh, as long as we don't try to squeeze as much as possible out of a product, then uh, I think we we need to change that mindset that things should be free all the time and then it's very hard to compete with each other if you set up a fee uh, so these are the type of things that would like to advocate for that we maybe think about this if it's the right way approach and that we make sure that about three applications in general are focusing more towards a product market fit versus you know just I don't know like a lot of people still think about token raises or generally have a token like those type of things, I, 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 if whoever still believes in that, that they will launch a token with a, a DAP product and it has meaning, I think those people are kind of going to be left behind in the next year. It's like the, the use case needs to be and the product market fit focus should be really just that, that you shouldn't focus on anything else. And I think Web3 needs more of these kind of startups. And I'm very, very positive that now with account abstracted wallets and MPC wallets, um, we're going to have it much easier to, onboard users outside of Web3. Um, and yeah, those are the kind of topics I'm mostly really interested in. When when we build OpenQ, we want to build it because we want to make sure that dev tools are more um, easier to utilize. And then also that developers get the support they need, uh, which is something we we found out it's, it's a huge problem. But um, I'm still very passionate in general about Web3, even though our current product is not using, uh, doing a lot of chain analytics. It's just overall a very cool uh, space to be in. And if we focus on getting those products now into the market so that um, they don't just have a USP that is saying like, hey, this is a decentralized application. You, you own your own data, but you find USPs that have actual meaning beyond that. That's kind of like the main focus. And that's also the focus developers should uh, tackle. Like when they talk to developers, they should try to challenge them exactly in that aspect of, like how is this decentralized application any different to another one and make it clear to them that um, a USP is not because it uses Web3. It's a feature, which is a very good feature, and that's cool. But if you build like a social media network, you know, that's based on like any of these dev tools that are recently out, like Farcaster or Lens, like you should find an idea that is similar to the idea where TikTok, you know, built something that's, went competitive with Instagram and YouTube. Like you find you should find this next type of TikTok thing. And Devils need to focus on this that they can help startups to figure these things out specifically. And that's something every hackathon happens a lot where people just build a decentralized uh, Twitter clone or a decentralized Airbnb clone. And then they think adding a tokenized uh process in that makes a lot of sense and it's great and it's cool. And it's that's fine. It's fine to learn these things, but the bottom Funnel should be really clear on those kind of things. Don't matter much. It's, it focuses on, or you should focus on, new ideas, and that's, I think, what we should kind of take out of this the most. That that's something in Web three we should go back to, or even start thinking about more. Which is something I I rarely see uh, even now at the new hackathons.
1: Yeah, I I fully agree with like the various points. I feel that um, projects. Right now, when they're racing, try to go a little bit more for the product market fit. But uh, still, you see a lot of like token deals where it doesn't make sense for the product. Um, and I, I what what I think resonates a little bit more um, with me too is um, we should go maybe a little bit step back, like to Web 2.5, where we we focus on onboarding users from Web2, like, give them a more Web2 experience, uh, but where we can and where it's actually useful at that blockchain uh, aspect or functionality if they want to dig deeper. But um, I think we're, we're just seeing the first tooling around that, uh, like, account abstraction will be a big part. I think uh, gaming might be a sector where this will be explored a lot, like, having just a normal flow but with extra functionality from, uh, like, web3 like blockchain technology um so it, so it's an interesting time and hopefully we we will see that mentality also flip um in hackathons uh which hopefully also the hackathon organizers start to incentivize a little bit more which yeah. could be like definitely true like such uh incentives like free credits or uh free subscriptions so um, yeah
0: it's it's really crazy to me that at this point in time we've still not um, you know, created, after investing so much money, uh, Web3 applications that have, like, a meaning outside of it uh, that are, like, kind of challenging the current, uh, you know, competitive landscape in Web2. Like, if you look at the biggest applications in general, yeah, aside from DEXs and, like, heavy DeFi applications, um, there's not a real challenger, and even those are, are kind of, like, struggling, um still right to become competitive we'll have centralized exchanges so yeah that's something I think we should focus on and that's like one of my most um interesting like aspects around open Q. that I want to make sure that those hack are organized in a way that they focus a bit more on the product market fit and not just on building a POC that's that's cool yeah because that's something we we just generally need and then afterwards I think once we have that um done i think what you said like going a bit back that's that's very important focus a bit more on what matters um and yeah in general i think the the overall like technology uh, marketing that we made about blockchain that everybody everybody needs to understand it and everybody needs to be in it and needs to see why this is like revolutionizing and the way how we interact with the internet i think that was a bit of a too much of a sell that now a lot of people um don't care about in outside of web3 anymore it was just a kind of like a hype and we need to that's that's why we need to focus on building applications that have a meaning meaning outside of web3 and web3, web3 is just a component of technology that then users will appreciate in the in the long run yeah
1: yeah good point and good shout out um for the listeners who are interested in in queue or like chatting up with you, like where can they reach you? And we'll make sure to to add those in the, in the show notes to those links.
0: Yeah, you can go on our website OpenQ.dev, um, and then my Twitter account is uh, Rick Dev R I C K K. Um, yeah, just give me a DM. I usually respond to everyone, and I'm happy to answer any kind of questions when it's about the devrel topic. Yeah, I'm very passionate about it
1: and uh maybe like last question What what's the next hackathon uh, after October you're, you're going to so maybe people can yeah, see so you in real life
0: <laughs> if Rome but that one will probably happen um before we release this podcast so um Istanbul is probably the the next one that I'm gonna be and then maybe also if India uh let's see I'm I want to also go to the Web Summit again, even though unfortunately this year there's no um, like blockchain hackathon like it was last year. I think it's really cool to go back to those Web2 conferences and and talk to other companies and learn what they're about and how they believe these kind of Web3, but these Web3 companies are bringing in. So um, yeah, maybe I'm going to be there as well.
1: Awesome, yeah. So a lot of opportunities to to meet you and the OpenQ team. Uh, thank you, Rick, for coming on our podcast and uh, see you later.
0: Yeah. Thanks for having me.
1: Thanks for tuning in to the Deus Ex Dal podcast, a place where some of the most progressive and innovative builders, thought leaders and traders in the crypto space come together to discuss all areas of the crypto industry, whether you're into DeFi, layer ones, layer twos, NFTs or anything in between, we've got you covered and as a reminder. Nothing said on this podcast should be construed as financial advice or as a solicitation to buy or sell any digital asset or security. The comments, views, and opinions expressed by the hosts or guests on the podcast are their own. As always, you'll need to do your own research.